live from the Fremont Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. See, Lynn told me to wear my hijab that I normally don't fiddle with, but I've been fiddling all night with my hijab. It comes with the part. Growing up in Mogadishu, in a large family, had taught me early on the complexities of identity and belonging and the desire for individuality. Being second to youngest of 11 children, my identity was always tied to my family. I was always so-and-so's sister, and in the streets, when people asked me whose sister I was, I had to carefully respond <laughs> to that. See, in Somalia, people believed in revenge. And prosecuting others for the wrongdoing of others, right? So you'd understand when I tell you that I claimed some of my siblings less often than others. Right? <laughs> I loved them equally, but I distanced myself from some. I was only five when the Civil War broke in Somalia, and everything I knew just went up in flames. We were uprooted, we moved constantly from one place to the other, and it became a routine. It almost started to feel like a positive thing. I made new friends everywhere I went, and to top it, some of those new places, nobody knew us. And some of my siblings that were troublemakers, nobody knew them, so I could claim them more now. Right? Nevertheless, that experience had taught me to adapt and adjust to new environments pretty quickly. Um, so 14 years ago, when we moved to the US, I was already a pro at adjusting <laughs> to new environments. I didn't have a hard time, like some people do, to adjust to this country. It was fun. There was a lot to learn. There was a lot to discover about America. I discovered chocolate. <laughs> yep, and I've gained just a few pounds. 50, to be precise. <laughs> Nevertheless, it was good. I also, for the first time, learned about slavery. I've never heard about it before. I learned the history in a history class. And it was a very painful history to learn in such a short time. Everybody else knew, and they knew what they were doing, but I was like, whoa, this happened here? Why are we here? <laughs> what? But then I learned about 
the people that fought against that. MLK, I was like, woo, he's such a great guy. And then I learned about Rosa Parks and uh, Malcolm X. I was like, oh my God. It inspired me. And it almost made me brave. Close. <laughs> right? I'm not brave. I'm almost brave. But close to my to the first year anniversary of being in the US, that is when I first experienced my first racism encounter. One of many to come. In Shelbyville, Tennessee, I just learned to drive. And as I was driving through a very busy street, I don't know what I did wrong, but this man violently shouted at me, hey, you, go back to wherever you came from. I was like, okay, cool. And then a few years later after that, in a similar road rage incident, another man violently shouted at me, hey, Go back to wherever you came from. Go back to Africa, he said. This time in Beaverton, Oregon, with my kids in the back. He said many other things, but that's what stood out. Not very many years later, during a snowstorm, again in Beaverton, my car got stuck in the snow, and a woman came up to me and said, you stupid immigrants, learn how to drive. Yeah, those incidents all involve me driving a car. <laughs> and yes, I might be a very terrible driver, but it has nothing to do with wherever I came from. I'm just a terrible driver. So, yeah, these incidents did frustrate me. And they briefly reminded me that I came from somewhere else. But they never shook my confidence that I belonged here. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? It never, I was never afraid of those people. I always stood up to them. I felt like, hey, no, I actually belong here. Right? In fact, family and friends always feared for my safety when I stood up for myself. They, they feared for the repercussions of standing up for yourself. I wasn't afraid because the day I took the oath to become a naturalized citizen, I was promised that I had the same rights as any other American. So I was like, yeah. I was like, well, they said I have all the rights that everybody else has. <laughs> I'm American, they said. So why would I be afraid? I would reassure my parents. No, mom, it's okay. My dad, it's okay. Like, we have the same rights, come on. Right. I 
also believed the American dream. I believed in it so much, even though it became very evident real quick. For some people, the American dream stayed a dream. I tried my best. I pulled myself by my bootstraps, like they said. I worked so hard. See, I didn't have a primary education. I went and enrolled myself in college. I was like, huh, people are doing it, I can do it. Well, I was a parent, I have three kids, very limited English. My friend will disagree. But I enrolled and I said, I can do this. I looked around a lot of times and said, these people had 12 years of education on me. I don't know how I'm doing this. But I did it. Many nights I stayed up. A lot of nights I spent at the ER. I had a daughter who got sick frequently, and I would attend lectures and finals the next morning. That's what you have to do. I struggled like any other American. I struggled like any other parent who was a student as well. I struggled to make ends meet. I struggled to make deadlines meet, you know, assignments and everything. I was overwhelmed. That's what came with being an American. Right? You have to work hard enough. And I was doing it, and I was happy to do it. So, despite all of the hardship, I became the first to graduate in a long line of generations, right? I did it. But never was I afraid. Never did I ever question that I belonged here, that I was American. I was as American as it got, right? But the last election cycle has shaken my ground. Right? <laughs> For the first time, I felt like a foreigner. My loyalty as an American was questioned. My identity was under attack. A picture was being painted daily about what it's like to be a Muslim. And that picture was putting a target on my back. It didn't feel good. I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed by the country who welcomed me and now was putting a target on my back. It took me back to the days where I had to distance myself from my siblings. Except this was a little harder to do. As a Muslim woman, I wear my identity. You can see, I can't hide it. I can't take it off. How do I separate myself from myself? People would tell me, Zara, it's just politics. Don't take it personal. 
for my family, it was very personal. When my nine-year-old daughter came home in tears one day and asked, Mom, are they really going to hurt us? Because another child had told her, if Trump had become president, that he would make us pay for the wrongdoings of ISIS. Another child had told her that. I was furious. My daughter was experiencing anxiety. She was afraid for me and for herself. I wasn't furious at the child who said that. I was furious at us as a society who was teaching our young and innocent that we can terrorize others when we're afraid of being terrorized. That when we're afraid, it's okay to make others afraid. It was confusing times. For many days, I sat in my car before I went to work and just listened to the, t to the radio and shut it off. I'm like, I can't do this. Oh my god, this is so personal. It's not politics. So I had a lot of anger. I ran away to Africa for a few months. And then I came back. Because when I became a citizen, I was asked to give up my citizenship of Somalia. There was nowhere to go back to. I had to go through the foreign line when I went to Somalia, because I was a foreign. There was nowhere to go back to. I belonged here. So I turned my anger and channeled that into action. I became more politically involved. I showed up at rallies. <laughs> Even when I didn't know what, whether they made a difference or not. I called my senators, I wrote to them. I even volunteered to go on radio shows <laughs> and made a complete fool of myself because I don't know how to talk politics. I don't know anything about politics, but I knew it was personal. And I knew I had to show up, and I knew I had to take back my narrative. I knew that I had to say no to being boxed up into pieces of my identity. And I knew I had to say, no, I am more than that. And I am not paying the price for anybody else's wrongdoing. I am more, and I'm not even done. 